Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. This has been a big week for me, and for my guest, Brendan Davis. If you caught the special mini-episode that came out on Friday, you know all about our new company, Migration Media. If you haven't heard it, please check it out, because we're both really super excited for it. We've got lots of plans in store for you. If you're someone who's living overseas, or if you're just interested in what the heck is going on with all the people moving all over the place, then I think you're going to be really happy with all the content we've got coming your way in the coming weeks and months. In light of this new venture that we're both part of, it only made sense to have Brendan sit down for an extended chat so that we could get his migration story straight. It's a story he sometimes touches on during his interviews on his podcast, Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom, and then he laid out in April on the terrific Phase World podcast. This chat serves as kind of an unofficial sequel to that one, but while Phase World's interview covered a lot of the hows of his journey, I'm much more interested in the whys. What drives a guy from the American Deep South to strike out on a career in music, film, and television in LA, and then ultimately follow those passions to China? Well, the seeds may have been planted early with an upbringing that featured lots of migration within the U.S., followed by a chance encounter in his teens with some Asian philosophy texts. The journey that followed has brought him to Beijing, where he's busy trying to find ways to bridge the cultural divide between East and West. I consider Brendan a real Renaissance man. It was a treat to dig into his story. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. All right, Brendan Davis, thank you for coming in for uh, Migratory Patterns. Mike Shaw, glad to be here. Yeah, so we are working together on this grand experiment that we're calling Migration Media, and I thought it was only appropriate that you, that I have you in here to talk to me and tell your story uh, for the first episode that is on Migration Media. So thank you so much for coming in. Well, it is my pleasure. I'm uh, excited for the opportunity. So we're going to kick it right off. Um, where is home? Home is uh, just outside the uh, East Fourth Ring Road. <laughs> Here in Beijing? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. so where, how, how does your story begin in terms of uh, moving overseas? Where, where did you start your journey? Well, uh, prior to Beijing, I was in Los Angeles for 14 years. And so uh, I currently, as I tell people sometimes, right now I have a uh, mailbox and a storage unit in L.A., but uh, I, yeah, I live here in Beijing. And so the short version of the story, I was in LA and I've worked in film and TV for basically forever and had been back and forth to China a bit since 2013. I've been working with Chinese friends and clients and colleagues in LA for like three or four years longer than that. And I always wanted to make the move. I've always been curious. And at the time I saw myself, you know, single, no kids, no mortgage and Never going to be a better time than the than past present at this point. Uh, do you follow that that thread there? <laughs> so um, yeah, I decided that I, I really knew that I wanted to spend some time living here. And again, I'd made when I decided I'd made four trips and spent about a month at a time here. So I I had, I had been here longer than just like a quick you know tour or something. I never never done a tour. I've, I've done very few tourist things actually. But um, yeah, so I I decided that I wanted to actually. Be here, live, um, you know, live amongst the locals, and 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 soak it in, and work on my language, and and become smarter about the culture. But of course, there are many business opportunities as well, and uh, that's the short version of it. I and I've been fascinated culturally with the East, you know, capital T, capital E, since I was a little kid, and philosophically, I'm much more in line 
with a lot of things in Eastern culture. So it made a lot of sense. So what was the, like, when did China get on your radar? You know, you're in LA, you're working in film and TV. How does China come up in your life that you say, oh, let's try that? Well, the uh, going way, way, way back is that I discovered around the age of 13, I discovered um, this book on Zen Buddhism by Alan Watts, and he wrote about this extensively. And now there are videos you can find. Of course, there was no internet when I was a wee child. So the seed was planted a long time ago, but flash forward to being, you know, working in film and TV, as we were saying, and got to know a lot of Chinese people in Los Angeles. And I also taught film producing for six years in a, a master's program and other programs there in LA. And probably had about 20 to 30% of my students in a given class ended up being Chinese the last few years. These are not Chinese Americans. These are Chinese, Chinese who are Chinese over who are studying, right. Yeah. And so, and, and you know, some of them were, were straight out of undergrad and they were coming to, you know, to get their, their master's. Uh, some, a few of them were in undergrad programs, but some of them had been working for five or 10 years or more here professionally somewhere in China in film or television. And then they were coming to learn how is it done in Hollywood and the West. And so they could expand their skill set. Those are really smart people who were doing that. So I got to actually, some of the, some of the cohort of the kids that I got to, to work with were actually, you know, really like kind of young professionals who already had experience. And so that added knowledge. I could hear secondhand from them of what it's like. And here, here's, here are the standards and here's how we do certain things. And also at compressing kind of a, a lot of pieces to this story, but basically had a few professional, you know, several Chinese friends, several Chinese American or Chinese Canadian producers, filmmakers who were friends with mine in LA, some actors. So I've kind of known this group of people who all have some China connection and they're professional and then they live in LA or they spend a lot of time in LA and I see them. So from all of them, I had this composite picture of what it would be like to live and work here. And then I had my own interests and kind of a bit of a little bit of a spiritual quest as well wrapped up into all this. So uh, that's a really long way to answering your question, but hopefully I covered it somehow. Well, that's thank, thankfully podcasts are long form, so we that's, can totally do that. And I'm aware of this. <laughs> as you as you have your own podcast also on uh, Migration Media, which is fantastic. So I want to get to that in a minute, but yeah. in terms of when you came over here you said you were coming back and forth on a few trips yeah I um kind of the, the the precipitating event to the proper move is that I had been planning two projects with my previous company that I had with a couple of partners we were a production and consulting company and it was one Chinese partner and one American who lives in New Zealand partner and then me and we were working on films and tv projects that were at the intersection of two or both two or three of those countries and we had a couple of film projects that we were in development with that would have been co-pros with China. And so I knew I needed to get here at some point. Before I could actually make my first trip, which was in fall of 2013, I actually, through a series of circumstance, got looped into helping a very popular Chinese TV show that's run on CCTV6, which is their, uh, their film channel. It's run on there, at the time it had been 16 years, I think. And... Long story short is that I ended up producing and executive producing a season of that show shot in Hollywood because they wanted Hollywood talent. My Chinese is still bad enough. My pronunciation is terrible, so pardon me, but um, the English name, we call it the best. It's like the best writers, directors, actors, the best filmmakers is the idea. And so with me, you know, with my team, we, we produced 
uh, 13 of these special episodes that we shot in 2013 in the we we started producing in the spring and it was uh, we did that for six months from the spring through the fall and we wrapped our production office and closed out the books on the show on I believe it was uh, let's just say that it was a Sunday night that I handed over the you know the banker's box to the Chinese executive producer to be done with the show and Tuesday morning I was on my first uh, first flight to China to Beijing. Mm. Wow. And when you came over on that first flight, what was the, did you have a goal in mind or were you just checking it out? Well, I came very specifically uh, with my, my previous partner. I was coming for my initial visas. I always had business visas because I was coming over for business and I was invited for business purposes, you know, with the, the letterhead that you get with the, the, you know, the seal and everything. And, um, but my visas, I got a single entry 30-day visa. Oh, the old so, days. Right, the old days, right? So, um, but it was coming very specific. I know, I take that back. The first one was actually a two-entry visa, but 30 days at a time. And so I stayed 30 days. I mean, I pushed it up to almost the hour on the return flight on both cases. So we came over for a month and worked, worked, worked. We were actually very actively developing the business on one of these big co-production movies that was this was to be a co-production with with New Zealand and so we, it was business meetings non mostly non-stop I mean I did some very little touristy stuff but I mean I, did, I would say I did some friendly and social and cultural things you know bars and restaurants and meeting friends of, of my partner and all this stuff so yeah it was it was came here you know got here and two days later was in some big government finance organization meeting you know I, I quickly adapted to the culture of the big round tables and and uh, you know the, the, the I, I, things I've learned you know include don't seat yourself <laughs> when, when you're in any kind of an official situation here let someone show you where your chair is yeah over in China on your second or third day finding yourself in a meeting with a high-level government minister out of nowhere who hasn't been there really yeah I mean, you honestly. know yeah it's pretty it's, it's just how it works here <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty pretty crazy but but so that first trip was it was very uh, I you know left and went back the timing of this was I actually spent Thanksgiving of 2013 here with my friend Larry Sullivan hi Larry if you hear this um, who's an expat friend who lived here close to 30 years he lives back in Palo Alto now uh, he finally gave up the ghost last year and he's with his family back in 30 California. years he 20, 28 quitter well, he's, he's, he's been back and forth a lot um, he, he's kind of a global guy he goes to Paris a lot for fashion he, yeah he's, he's kind of all over but but this was home this was his home was Beijing Chaeyoung Park but um, so went back for Christmas and New Year's and saw my 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 parents are split up in, in different parts of the country but went saw my parents and saw some friends and you know, kind of touch base in, in L.A. for a minute and, and traveled the U.S. for, um, I was back about two and a half, three weeks, I guess, and then back here in China. And I was here, I think, Jan my that's right, I had my birthday, this has happened twice, where I've had my birthday, my birthday's January 5th, I've had my birthday in the air, <laughs> uh, once coming to China and actually once uh, coming back from New Zealand. Well, if you do to, it in the air, usually you would be having it twice then because you're crossing the line. I, that's what happened, yeah. Yeah, I was coming back from New Zealand on January 5th of 2012 to Los Angeles. Mm. And so I actually had January 5th twice. <laughs> I left on January 5th and I got back. Right. And it was just becoming January 5th. It was like a you know late night. Flight. Nice, yeah. nice. And so it actually reminds me, it's not really related, but my grandfather was in uh, World War II and he told me this story when he got back to the U.S. He ended up in uh, New York, I think it was. 
and apparently there was a um, false news uh, about the uh, Japanese, uh, not the Japanese, uh, the Germans, the Germans surrendering. Right, so they right. Had VE Day. Yeah, and then, hit the papers. Yeah, for a and while. then by the day, by the time he took the train up to Boston, which was a day or two later, they'd found out that it had not happened. Oh. And, but then it was fake news, I guess. But wow. then it did really happen. So he said he experienced VE Day twice. Oh, no he kidding. He got it in New York and in, oh, in Boston. Okay. So it was. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It's like your birthday. You get it twice well, on the same flight. <laughs> d- d- exactly. Well, d- depending on how long he uh, got to enjoy the good news, yeah. maybe he just had like a run of three four days of feeling awesome instead of totally deflated. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, slower travel back then. So if you're coming over on yeah. that, those first couple of trips then, at that point, yeah, yeah. are you thinking, I need to find my way over there, or are you just in exploratory mode? I, I it, well, uh, I would say invert those two, invert that. It was exploratory with the thought that I probably would, um, I, I knew I always wanted to spend a lot of time here. And the plan, even before that first trip, was the goal with my that previous company was actually to open a Beijing office, mm-hmm. and so that was part of the business reason to come over that that other time. Uh, there were certain meetings set up, and we were working with a talent agency here, um, so we was dealing with you know talking to the agents and dealing with finding talent and things like that for the movie. So, um, yeah, I, I knew that I would be spending if if that project had happened. That project did not, did not end up happening, as you might have guessed from the way I'm saying all this. But if that project had happened, we would have spent a significant part of time in China anyway. Mm-hmm. It would have been shooting mostly in New Zealand, shooting a little bit in China, and then the post-production would be would be split up. It would be mostly New Zealand with some in China. And then, yeah, so I, I was expecting to be back and forth. This all sounds very glamorous. Um, <laughs> as, I, as I sit here in my gym shorts and my, I'm wearing, you know, your house sandals with my socks it's it's a great it's a great look for a global traveler um but yeah we would have been spending basically about a year and a half bouncing between new, new zealand and and beijing oh wow so so you were pretty much set on being an overseas person from yeah. the time wow that's interesting T- totally totally i've always yeah this is this is the adventure that i was looking for so do you think about how long you want to stay is it something that's in your brain or are you just basically like this is where I'm going to make my career, however long it lasts, wherever it takes me, that's where I'm going to go. Or are you thinking China, China? Uh, pretty much China, China. Um, the, the, the uh, saying end game sounds so final because I guess that's definitely technically <laughs> well, what end game is. Well, you will die someday. I don't know I, if you I, know that. I, I've heard. I've heard these rumors. Uh, some, some days I feel like it might be sooner than later. Um, but the, the quote-unquote end game for me would involve, I mean, the way I see things is... I mean, I need to have some kind of a significant enough success to to kind of make all this happen financially. But the goal is that I would like to actually have a like own a little house in New Zealand, uh, someplace in the Bay, kind of around Wellington, probably. But then also keep an apartment here in Beijing and go back and forth. Hmm. And so that would be my that's my dream scenario of the next you know in the next few years is to get to that point. And in the meantime, it's just, you know, I'm just grinding, y'all. Yeah. You know, and aren't I'm just, we, I'm just uh, aren't we all? Yeah, yeah, doing it, doing a million and a half things. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're all doing. It's so interesting that you say that where you want to end up, the kind of the dream scenario is um, New Zealand and, and mm-hmm. Beijing or yeah. China, whatever. How did you get to the mindset of 
coming wherever you came come from. What are you way back and like figure this out? Well, a little bit, I mean, it's I, less, I, can, I can tell you the thread. Well, know. yeah. What's the thread? I mean, how do you go from wherever you're born? You know, everyone is born somewhere. How do you go from wherever you're born to saying I want to live in another country or split my time between two other countries? Well, so so the compressed version of this is that I grew up in the southeast and lived, you know, parents split when I was young and was kind of back and forth, mostly ended up being with my mom, but had some significant, very uh, specifically significant, personally significant uh, times also with my with my father. And back and forth and also spent time with the grandparents who lived in small town Alabama. And so I was, I was like one half city mouse, one half country mouse. So go, I never go tied. So I never fit. Well, exactly big. My, my grandfather had his Bear Bryant. My mom's dad had his Bear Bryant hat. That's what he wore. That was his Sunday hat. And he always had that specific hat. Uh, so Alabama football fans will know what we're talking about and of a certain age and no one else will. But um, so I grew up to, to start with never feeling like there's a sense of home. The grandparents' home in Anniston, Alabama, that's kind of my spiritual like home hometown uh, because it's the most stable place that we that we had any roots. And, and of course, now we have none. They're all Everybody's dead and gone. There's no property that anyone owns in, in my immediate family in, in that area. But that was, that was the one sense of, of belonging was in this really small town, really small community. And from there, I was aware of how big the world was because I lived in and around Atlanta, which, you know, it's the biggest city in the southeast, and it, it was at the time, right? It was it was its, you know, nascent version of what it became now back then. You can't get to hell without going through Atlanta. Uh, that's true, because yeah. Hartsfield is yeah. one of the outer circles. I used I to work for Delta. I know it very well. That's right. You did. We talked about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but where was I? So, so basically, I grew up through a very serious of circumstance, I I went to, I was in 10 different schools in the 12 years of first through 12th grade. Mm. And then worked my way through college and it was one, two, three, it was four colleges total uh, over a almost eight year period and working along the way and you know, just had this, I've just had this kind of, I mean, it makes me sound too grandiose to say that I had this Homeric journey, but I mean, sometimes it feels like that, you know, I mean, sometimes it's, I'm some kind of a cross, some kind of a hybrid between, you know, uh, Odysseus and Sisyphus. <laughs> if I want to use my Greek mythology, uh, course that I had that one, that one semester. So I've always felt like I was searching for something and that became more defined over the years. And I, I could define it better now. I'm just saying back in that mindset of being a kid, it was a quest to find home, and then and it's interesting because I know that's kind of the organizing conception of your show is, you know, in your words, I mean, it's something like, well, what does it mean to be home? Where is home? What does this mean? And that's why, why we're talking today. So for me, I found that home was where I made it, and there are all the cliches of, you know, home is where the family, home is where you are, home is where you make it. And, and I related to that more than, oh, home is that one big family property that everybody meets for the holidays. I didn't have that. Had a little bit of that with my grandparents. But I, you know, I've been out in the world. Uh, and also, there's the, the other aspect of this is that my first career, I joke, is failed rock star. But I was a lead guitar player and writer in a rock band. And, you know, everybody has like their high, you know, if you play music, you probably have a high school or maybe a college band. And I had those too. But I actually had like a professional band, and we weren't like playing covers professionally 
at high clubs. We were doing original music, and we were scouted by a bunch of the major record labels. And we, I had kind of an interesting uh, run with that. And of the, there's about an eight-year period where that was what I did. So I had a I had a mini professional career in the music business, and traveling, and I also mixed live music for a living. I you know started in clubs and learned what I was doing, but I ended up doing bigger shows and going on the road and traveling. So I've been a live sound engineer on over 2,000 shows uh, for for bands. You know everything from clubs to like outdoor you know concerts and big things and amphitheaters and things like this so i had this nomadic rock and roll world lifestyle meanwhile i worked my way through college and got a film degree and when the music business you know when that band was done and i had given everything we had and when that was done i switched into doing sound for films i worked as a production sound mixer or a boom operator part of the team that, that captures the actors speaking on set and I did that job and later got into editing. And I did the combination of those two jobs for about 12 years. Finally moved to L.A. And the goal was, because in college I was mostly a writer, director, producer, and the goal was to move to L.A. and make the switch and force myself to get back into that because I had gotten into this groove of working on projects on set and then I would get some big editing, I'd get a job doing some editing thing for three or four or five months. And so I was used to being incredibly rootless. Personally, professionally, everything was always, I'm used to this idea of where's the gig. Right. Right? It's kind of the life. Well, it, you know, it, 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 I wouldn't trade. I mean, there's certain things that, oh, that would have an amazing opportunity and what would have happened if this thing had gone yeah, this yeah. way. But, uh, you know, I mean, I like, I like being here at your lovely kitchen table having the conversation. I wouldn't change anything. That whole idea of you end up someplace different um, could have ended up some interesting places, but we wouldn't be having this moment. I wouldn't be having what's coming up now. When so you, when I wouldn't you were want to change a, that. When you were in L.A., sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but when you were in L.A., is that when this... Like, were you based in L.A. and you were bouncing around, or were you bouncing around and then you landed in L.A.? L.A. became home, and L.A. is really my, sounds maybe a little corny to say, but L.A. really is like my spiritual home, and that's I consider that my home. I'm from Atlanta, and I have tons of friends back in Atlanta area uh, who, you know, who I miss and love, but I haven't seen, some of them I haven't seen in 15 or 20 years. But L.A. is, LA is home, and that's where I became the, you know, the... To whatever degree I'm grown up, that's where I became like the 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 f- more fully formed version of myself that I am. That's where I basically figured out what I wanted to actually commit to professionally because I, you know, the music thing was a professional thing. It wasn't like a bunch of kids screwing mm-hmm. around in a van. The film career was like a legit film career. I was going to Europe and going to Canada and working on movies and TV shows, and mm-hmm. you know, it was like a legitimate profession thing. And if I had st- continued to do that it was i refer to that situation it, they weren't golden handcuffs but they were kind of like they were at least they were sterling silver <laughs> you know uh that it was pretty comfortable lifestyle I and mean, once you get at a certain level of professionalism and you you know command a certain rate and you work on certain kind of jobs i wasn't doing enough, the biggest stuff but i was doing yeah. good professional stuff and it's you know, it's a good living it's you know? consistent work if you're it's doing consistent a good job. work yeah. it's a good living and god and, we're in the golden age of tv i mean there's there's more nowadays making more stuff oh, than my, they have people for my my friend yeah and that's in there's so much of that. L.A. and basically California and Atlanta are the two hubs of that. And yeah, all my my friends who are like my old time friends from the crew days, 
I love seeing what they're up to on Facebook. They're they're working all those shows, like all yeah. these shows that we all watch. I mean, I look through the watch the credits, and it's like there's somebody on every crew list, pretty much. Like, oh, I know Eddie from back in the day. And blah, blah, blah. Over 420 scripted shows in the U.S. alone last year. I, something like that's, that. That's that's that sounds to say that sounds right is amazing, but that sounds yeah. about right. That's insane. Yeah, well, but so so yeah, L.A. is really where I figured out what I wanted this next phase of my life to be, and so combining the you know it gets into a longer story but basically there's i felt like i hit a certain ceiling in los angeles for me personally it's not la's fault you know it's just the nature of of what i was able to achieve and where i was what i could accomplish and what resources i had available but the, the interest in other cultures never went away the friend who moved to new zealand was a friend from la one of my oldest friends steve Barr, and steve moved to new zealand very different from China, of course, but he'd moved there and he really became a local, a big part of the local world, like very respected part of the community. And so seeing and hearing his communiques, I mean, I was at his going away party and then, you know, we stayed in touch as he's going and I've got a New Zealand friend. So I connected them and now they're friends. And so watching these friendships form overseas remotely, it's like, oh yeah, you can do that. Mm. Seeing his adventures and of course his, you know, his like Facebook feed and Twitter feed, other photos of hey me and the wife went hiking and look at this place yeah. like, you know everything is a postcard down there so so look so, a hobbit <laughs> exactly oh there's a hobbit oh shit oh the elf got him um, I'm being a dork but but basically seeing the seeing the adventures Steve had was a certainly part of it and for me I just I have been drawn to Asian culture in general for decades you know since again really 13 is when. The seed was planted, and I have to credit Alan Watts. Uh, may he rest in peace for that. But I worked with so many people, and China, of course, being ascendant. And you know, it was not a. It was I didn't come here as some kind of a crass money grab. Um, and I, part of my, I'm a producer and a consultant, and sort of an entertainment business entrepreneur currently, basically, for lack of a way to, of a better way to kind of summarize what I do. But. The opportunities are huge, but I want to be part of this whole cultural translation process because that's really needed. Mm -hmm. You need people who understand the Western culture and the Western business, and then you need people who understand the local world well enough to deal with it and navigate it. And so there's opportunity in both directions, but I have cautioned many people in my consulting capacities as well as just person to person. Um, I've cautioned them against thinking of China as a big bag of money. And most people are sophisticated enough now to know that's not going to work. But I was telling people this like five years ago. <laughs> it's, it's never going to work. You're not going to be able to grab somebody's wallet. and no, no, no. Yeah. So you having been uh, in L.A. for um, 14 years and bouncing around doing the whole itinerant entertainment business, and then you see people, you interact with people who are coming through, who are going over to other places, like your friend who went to New Zealand, that opens your eyes like, oh, that's possible. And now you're here in China, and you want to be in China for a while, and then you have this kind of vision of, your, of where you're going to end up, which is the New Zealand and have a place in China, you can go back and forth. Yeah. See, t- see that's, t- that's fascinating because, you know, I... You know, my own story, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I have no idea. We, mm. you know, we, I think we imagine, uh, my wife and I, imagine that one day we'll end back up, end up back in North America. But she's also got a real strong connection to New Zealand. So right, we, right, we right. End, up, end up being uh, neighbors, although she didn't want to live in Wellington. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, nah, she doesn't like the cities. Oh, yeah. But, um, 
Well, she when she lived in New Zealand, she lived in the countryside. So right, she right. lived out literally out in the sticks. I can get the I can understand the appeal of that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I haven't visited yet, so it's it's on the plan. But you know, we have no idea. But it's um, you know, for us, I think we're the same attitude as you. Is maybe not China specific at this point in our lives. We're not exactly sure where we're going to end up in the next year, two years. But the idea is to kind of stay out in this region. You know, stay in Asia. Right. This is the part of the world that's ascendant we want to be a part of that coming out we want to be right. a part of helping or not helping but participating in the translation if you will of the ascendant cultures into being able to communicate with the rest of the world and vice versa back and forth so it's kind of interesting that that you kind of have that attitude and so do we even though we're on completely different career tracks which is ironic because we're in this migration media business together right and that's going to lead me to my next question which is your podcast yeah which is yeah. Uh, big fish in the middle kingdom which is how we met exactly so we there was a guy you interviewed on your uh, podcast mike wester who is a friend of mine um because if you're here in beijing for any length of time you're only one degree separated from everybody right <laughs> it's a all, small all roads lead to mike wester somehow that's right well, when you run the biggest fat magazine yeah. in the city, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna uh, connect with everyone. But um, so your your conception of of the podcast, where did that come from? Well, so that that gets to I was talking about this with somebody just the other day, so it's kind of in the front of my brain. The conception about this is that I knew that I was having this really interesting, you know, personally interesting experience. And I also knew that it was not a standard thing for anyone back home, but yet there was this small cohort of people here who could relate. And so my show is a fairly niche show. You know, it's not the kind of general interest show that's going to attract hundreds of thousands of, of listeners, although I'm open to that universe. Let me actually stop and just insert, because I realize that the listeners probably might not know. Well, but the podcast is you interview people who are here doing kind of what you're doing in China, which is making their life, making their living, chosen That's what to I was going to say, is yeah. that basically I realized I'm having this, this experience and that there are all these other people who are too. Yeah. And so let's start talking to them. And what could I learn from other people? I figured it would expand you know, my... Uh, my life to get to know other people because I'm I'm not the most I'm talking about these careers that you know from the outside world they all sound glamorous and exciting and you know it's they can be there's aspects of it but it's about 97% grinding hard work and then 3% fun and glory for this entertainment stuff I've been talking about so I don't regret it. I mean the point is it's a job it's work you know and so I don't I, I you know the the nature of what I've been doing in China with the business stuff that I've been doing, because I'm here, you know, I have a business visa that lets me. I have a ten-year business visa. I have to. I do have to stamp out every sixty days, but I can go to Hong Kong, you know, and that counts. So, with my back to the show, trying to connect the dots here, is that I didn't actually get to know that many expats until about the time I met you in this flood of people I got to meet, because I had just gotten to know Mike. I knew a few other people connected to Mike in the Beijinger world. But that kicked off Brendan having half his friends or more being expats. Previously, most of my friends were, were Chinese people here. Mm -hmm. And I had a handful of friends who were expats who I knew from China Hollywood stuff because there is actually a very organized cohort. The China Hollywood Society is a group that has an, it's an L.A. and Beijing organization. I've been part of it from the L.A. side and now part of it in the Beijing side. So other than that, which is just totally international people, 
you know, from everywhere. Plus, it's Chinese people who were going to work in Hollywood a lot. That was my world outside of the actual just China folks. In my previous company that I was part of, I was the only Laowai. I was the only foreigner in the whole company, you know. And I, we had, I had two bilingual that you know, I had assistant and coordinator who were both bilingual. And other than that, there, you know, people spoke a little English here and there. But so with me in the podcast, I wanted to connect these dots. I started meeting all these other, I, I've been doing the show already when I met you, but I started interviewing the people who I met and then from them, friends of those people. And I reached out to a few people for kind of a, an alternate take on the normal show, which is where I re- have what I call a reverse Lao Wai, which is my, my made up phrase for a Chinese person who has left and is somewhere else. And so I've had a few of those. But it's ultimately about what makes, you know, what are the commonalities? What can we learn? And I'm not trying to do a show. There's, there's value in this. There, there are tons of blogs that cover the kinds of things like, oh, how do I get this kind of housing permit? Or how do I do this mundane thing with the bank? I don't give a shit. Um, I don't care about doing I don't want to talk about that because it's boring. It's important to you until you've got it mastered and then you move on. Like you never think twice about it once you figure out how to deal with your banking stuff, for instance. So for me, the, the idea of the show was, uh, the idea of Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom was to see what I could learn, see what we could share with each other in terms of really meaningful stuff. Like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And that's the big existential question we care about anyway. Like, yeah. why, why are any of us anywhere? That's the question I was asking with China being the specific here. Yeah. The what's interesting, you said something at the very beginning. You said something at the very beginning of that monologue where you mentioned how you kind of couldn't talk to people back home about what you were doing here. That was kind of one of the thought processes that you had. And I've thought about that a lot. I mean, when we when you had me in for my interview, Mm -hmm. I remember being really uh, jazzed about what you were doing because I'd been thinking about this. Yeah, something to do with expats um you had the seed for what we're doing today but it wasn't it didn't, I, ha, it didn't have a name it didn't have it didn't, a name it wasn't really formed yet yeah it, it didn't kind of make sense on how it would work or if it could work you know it yeah. it was very yeah. nebulous and then you know i have thought one of the things that had made me think about wanting to do this type of thing is the whole point uh, the whole thing that you mentioned about you can't really talk to people back home about what's going on here because there's just no way to... There's really... no frame of reference. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's just... People, you know, not that people don't care. There's just not a frame of reference exactly. to really understand anything interesting, I'd exactly. say. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, when I go home, I desperately want to you know, meet up with my closest friends and I only get to see them when I go home, which, you know, if I'm lucky, is once a year. I'm not going back this year. And uh, it really bothers me that I, you know, you have to kind of leave friends behind or not leave them behind, but they get left behind. Just that friendship gets left behind just because life moves on. And there's, like, I can't call or get on Skype or WeChat even with some of my friends back home and tell them about what I just experienced. I can't tell them about the, the random sit down I had with the governor of Qinghai province that day okay, because right, that doesn't right. make any it sense to them. Right. So they don't understand what that experience is all about. But you could WeChat me and geek out. If exactly, you to, right? exactly. So, you know, one of the things I've thought about is, you know, what your podcast does is it makes people's stories about what they're doing in Beijing how they got here, it makes that much more relatable because people can listen in and say, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's different. That's outside my experience. And what do I think about that maybe? 
you know, which is what really inspired me to say, all right, I'm going to do a podcast now. And if you're doing a podcast and I'm doing a podcast and there's a couple other people out there doing podcasts, we can all get together and start having that conversation amongst each other and with the rest of the world. Well, I think, and that's part of what excited me when you, when the idea was formed enough that you kind of clued me into it and we started talking about migration media was exactly that because there have been a handful of of people, uh, I mean, there's you and there's there's AJ and there are a handful of these other people who uh, who I know, who I've talked to on the show, who are either now doing a podcast or developing a podcast or our conversation led them to say, you know, I thought about doing it. Maybe I should do it. Maybe they're doing another, another form of outreach, some kind of a video channel or a channel on WeChat. But it seems like the timing's interesting because here in China, I mean, they're actually, if you search... And you've done this more than me because you're kind of the, the 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 search master of knowing these things. But in terms of China shows that people instantly think of, there really aren't many unless you're a super China geek, mm. right? I mean, the Seneca podcast business, yeah. is basically the one. Some people know the Technode show, China Tech Talk. You know, travel travels a little bit outside of the walls of China. But other than that, there's not really anything. You know, there's, there are a few shows. And every once in a while, I'll meet somebody through a friend of a friend, and they learn about my show. It's like, oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, she's doing that show, and I've never heard of this person. Well, it's basically and, and, there's know. the China Watcher niche, which is right. great, but that is a niche. Yeah. There's nothing really that tries to speak to the wider audience. Well, there's there's a new one I've, I've listened to now. A friend of mine does. I don't want to mention it in case it's not going after a little while, okay. but I think it will be. But, you know, there's not a lot that is aimed at the general audience, you know, well, that was that was that was the goal with my show, and that's why I think it made sense what you want to do with migration media. Because for my show, again, I mentioned that it's a niche show, and I don't expect hundreds of thousands of listeners. Um, but I do think there there could be a hundred thousand, there could be fifty thousand to a hundred thousand internationally. Mm-hmm. The show already tracks in about seventy eight countries, but that's including places where there's like three people that listen. But that's great, and I love those three people, and I hope they hear this, you know. But the idea is I'm not talking so much about nuts and bolts of China. I'm talking about these bigger issues mm-hmm. that gets to this bigger story of traveling and relating. And your show is a different take on an idea. Like we, we have a little bit of thematic overlap, a small amount, not a lot. Yeah. But in terms of the big category, we're basically in the same boat. Yeah. Because we're getting to what is the experience like? What is the experience for somebody who's not in their country of origin Yours is about what's you know what's home mean to you I think, and and mine is about these people. I, I'm sort of focused on that journey a lot. You know that well, kind of yeah. tends to be what my show is about, and because that's what I relate to because I've had this crazy. I mean I joke that I was raised by wolves. You know hi mom, <laughs> but but uh, she did her best. You know, but but I've had this crazy was kind of self-raised and raised by the community of random people I met along the way. You were an army brat without the army. It's pretty pretty much. Yeah. yeah, when people when people hear the story they're like, "Oh, you're dead in the service." Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another story. But anyway, but yeah, migration media is about aggregating, you know, encouraging, creating and or aggregating the best media experiences that are offered by people who are living outside their country of origin. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of ways to talk about it or pitch it. But, I mean, to me, that sums it up in a clear enough way that I, that people tend to get it. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I think it's interesting. And I think that it's, you know, you, you will passionately do your five minutes on the 
migrant community and what does this mean and what you know expats amount to this this nation that's this underserved group of people which is great and it's really inspiring and fun and encouraging to hear you get up and do your braveheart speech about expats <laughs> you know uh you know uh, mike wallace here it's a different I, mike wallace. i'm i'm an i'm a very entitled american i'd like i think i even said this on your podcast like i yeah, i yeah. see i'm not getting the things i want how do I get the things I want? Well, I can't ask for it by myself because if you're a company and you're making stuff, you're not going to sell it to one guy. But if you get a couple hundred thousand guys or girls and whatever, then they'll sell stuff to you. So exactly. it's, it's, that's really, it's very self-serving. I just want stuff. <laughs> well, I, I think I think that there's a lot of potential for the the idea. And I have enjoyed doing, for all kinds of reasons, podcasting has been a very satisfying endeavor it's 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 been wonderful for me socially personally professionally it, it has opened doors that I wouldn't have known existed previously and I have other opportunities that are you know there's some things in the air right this minute as we record this that are related to the fact either directly or indirectly related to the fact that I have the show whether it's related to what I do or whether it's related to somebody knows me from that from that channel and although I'm talking about myself a lot I'm being interviewed I mean I I I don't exactly. So I mean, I don't go around talking about myself and pitching myself to the world. I'm actually a fairly private guy for somebody who has to be in public a little bit for what I do for a living. So the fact is that I think having a platform, I think I think a lot of people who are kind of more introspective, you know, are going to have this uh, this interest to do some kind of a platform and to to, to trying to understand the world. And I think everybody's trying to do it. The only difference is that we're creating shows that that get into that and give other people an opportunity to, 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 to engage on that. And then with the platform, it's a way to, to, as we, as I was saying, to aggregate it in such a way that it's, it ultimately could become a, a hub, a one-stop shop for people to come and find, you know, hopefully not to be self-serving, but hopefully like the best of those kinds of shows and, and pieces of pieces of media. Yeah, I yeah. love I loved how you said about how thematically we kind of overlap a little bit, but we're definitely in our own directions. Like, I I love the fact that you're kind of, you know, really shining a spotlight on the China experience, like of people who are coming to China and making their way here, whatever they're doing, whatever their reasons. Like, you are really shining a spotlight on that. I'm I'm a little more interested myself in exploring what it means not on a bigger level, but just kind of at a wider scope. Like, what does it mean mm-hmm. to be outside your home, no matter where mm-hmm. you're from, no matter where you're going? Like, what? just the idea. Like, I'm fascinated by the genesis of your coming overseas, specifically because you, you know, had that Army Brat-like experience growing mm-hmm. up, you know, very rootless, as you said. And then, you know, you're, clearly your upbringing or whatever had made you open to the idea of going anywhere and you probably didn't even know that until you had this something said hey you could go here and you're like i could do that because in your experience growing up you were never so attached anywhere that the idea of going somewhere else would be it wasn't a loss it wasn't a loss to leave this physical place behind not only just a loss but just the i the possibility existed i mean i i can remember Before I moved overseas, I made the decision like two years beforehand, and I spent time building up to it. And I remembered after I'd been here a year, like I, it kind of clicked in my brain that for so many people, that doesn't even enter their mind as a possibility. Like I, like when the I I moved here just 
as the financial crisis was hitting, like about a month before, my timing was impeccable. And I got over here and I found work the first weekend I even decided to look for work and I hadn't even tried to find it. I, I got an email and I found a job listing and someone said there's a job and I got it. And back home at my company I'd been working at, everyone I knew, job cuts, right, people right, getting laid off right, all over the place. Right. And all I could think was, why isn't everyone moving over here? And because <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, everybody doesn't want to do it. <laughs> well, it's it's not even doesn't want to yeah, do it. They yeah. never even think of it as an opportunity, as an option. Right, like and like right. what is different in my brain or what was different about my experience that made it a viable option in my brain that considered it. You know, there's something else that happened uh, about a year later. The financial crisis really got bad in Spain. So the crisis happened. Right. They got really bad in Spain. And I had a couple of Spanish friends in my circle, and all of a sudden. They weren't kind of in our circle anymore because they were overloaded with Spanish people who came over here. There was a, there was a period okay. about 9, 2009, 2010, the city was flooded with Spaniards. All right. Just, they were literally e- economic gangs refugees, of them. They, basically. They were economic refugees. Yeah. They were basically gangs of them walking around San Leiton. And I remember I had some friends and a couple of Chinese friends in our group, and one of them... Both two of them learned to speak Spanish. One of them actually moved to Spain for a while, but they learned to speak Spanish and they got invited to a house party, one of our friends' house parties, and it was all Spanish people and those two Chinese people. These Spaniards were not interested in learning about Chinese people. Really? They, they, their experience as Chinese people was so stark. They were like, wow, we went there, we learned Spanish so we could talk to people. We went and they didn't talk to us. They didn't want to talk to us. Wow. They didn't, it wasn't like they were mean. It was just very obvious. These guys were here specifically because they had to be and okay. they were looking for the first opportunity to go back. I see. So it's a very different, like, but, yeah, but those yeah, Spanish yeah. people had that in their mind that going overseas was an option. Right. You well, know. yeah, I think if you, you know, that's, that's, uh, I know that, I mean, just from travel and from, you know, from reading and having the internet, I uh, can say this a little bit, I guess, but the fact is that, of course, the countries and, you know, Western, in Europe especially, are so close and most yep. of them are so relatively small geographically. Yeah. You know, you can, if you, if you do it right and you have the right passports and all this, you could, you know, you could get, you could wake up in Switzerland and you could, you could, you could drive through four or five countries in one day before the sun sets if you do it right in yeah. Europe, you know. So the idea of traveling to another country is not a big uh, philosophical leap. And also, of course, there's the American exceptionalism thing. Uh, <laughs> th- th- they're all the things wrapped up into our the identity of most uh, uh, most of our fellow American folks. Uh, you know, and I'm, I, I say proud American tends to make people think, hey, I don't have a MAGA hat in my closet. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I campaign for Bernie, so let's just get that on the table. <laughs> Fairly horrified about the current situation back home. But uh, so the fact is, I mean, I mean, I'm a proud American in the sense of what, the best of what America stands for and represents. I'm down with that. The current reality is pretty screwed up in a lot of ways. But I didn't move here. This was not a political thing for me. Yeah. This was, and it wasn't an opportunity. It wasn't. It wasn't an economic opportunity. I mean, you know, I've, I've I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I, I was doing a lot better in Los Angeles. Is what I'll say financially. <laughs> well, you're on a journey. Well, exactly. I, I'm here. I'm here to be here specifically. I wanted to be here. I, I came here. I moved myself here to soak it up and to learn it and to live it. And 
I've had my phases of being serious about learning the language. The goal is overall that magically I become fluent in Chinese. Uh, it's not going to happen by magic, as I've discovered. Um, so I Just actually have put to, the book under your bed under the when pillow. You sleep, is that so how it works? Like like, like with the tooth, brain. like the China, like the yeah. China fairy was yeah. like magically put the language exactly. in my head. Uh, that would be great. It's pretty sweet. I'm gonna try that tonight. Actually, give me an idea. Your idea, man, Mike Shaw. Yeah. So, so that was the goal, and it still is the the, the goal. But you know, there's so much to do here, and specifically, without getting shop talk about my industry and having it be really inside baseball, the uh, the Chinese film industry specifically can't say film and TV, but the film industry, and then what would be TV elsewhere, but like kind of the online, so like Netflix or Amazon shows, but like the China version. All that stuff is getting better. So, I mean, I'm here working with people who are focused on making the best shows and things in China. And so in terms of film and TV, that's my main pursuit here. But I'm developing stuff that's, you know, I'm developing and and developing, if people don't know this in terms of film and TV talk, it means, you know, know, things you're developing, like writing, you're helping to create as a producer where you're working out the ideas and sorting out what does the project look like. Most people develop you know, 20 things for every one thing that happens. And that's just the nature, the, the numbers of it. Hopefully your batting average gets higher, but it's also what's the market, who's on board, blah, blah, blah. You know, competitive projects you don't know exist until they're announced. Mm-hmm. And then you're, and all of a sudden you're yesterday's news. So that's just kind of the nature of this particular horse race that I'm in. But so things that I'm developing, I mean, some of them are like U.S. set and based. You know, there's some some things in New Zealand and I'm and I'm actively making, I'm making an effort to develop things that have a New Zealand angle because I do. I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that nice little house up on the bluff looking over the Bay in Wellington ain't going to happen by itself, <laughs> you know? So I've got to actually actively put some eggs in that basket. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. I think, uh, like I've said when I was actually on your podcast that I think what you're doing is really important. And I meant that when I was talking to you then the context of your podcast, but I also think that what you're doing just in terms of your mission here, your job is pretty important too. And I appreciate it. The fact that you had the, uh, you were open to the opportunity, you were open to the possibility of moving overseas and then you actually did it really says a lot about, you know, what anyone can do, no matter where you're from, no matter. Oh, if I can do it, anybody (laughs) listening, trust me, you're fine. I can do it and not end up in the gutter in two days. You'll you'll be fine. I was going to say it much nicer than that, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. All All right, man. Well, really, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. No worries, man. Thanks. All right. Awesome. All right, that's great. I think Brendan's a really interesting, deep guy, and I'm really excited to be working with him on Migration Media. You can find his original interview of me on his podcast, Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom. It's episode number 29. And you can find a lot more details on the specifics of his journey from Atlanta to L.A. and the entertainment industry. Uh, That'll be in the Phase World podcast. It's episode number 145, and there's links to both in the show notes. Please subscribe and leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're using. It really is going to help us out as we keep going. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.